Hi, welcome to Light Camera Author. I'm Jim Juno, and this is where we talk with authors who write books about music, television, Hollywood in general. And I have with me today, her name is Allie Smith. She was, I guess, I don't know if Speedball Babies is still around. If you were in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, you and you followed alternative music, um, that was probably one of the big bands of the era, and the book is called The Ballad of Speedball Baby, a memoir, and it's coming out in January. Allie, welcome to Life Camera Author. Hi, how you doing? It's so nice to be here. Thank you. I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Now, uh, Speedball Baby, and I got the name right because in your book, you mentioned how a lot of the places that y'all played... <laughs> Could not get that name right. It was Speed Bar Baby. It was. Speed. <laughs> well, do you know what? That was not to do with any of those venues because when we were touring on our own, like on the In the Red record and uh, Sympathy for the Record Industry, all those, you know, all these great indie labels, um, when we were touring with them, everything was right. But as soon as we were on MCA <laughs> and you know, they didn't quite know what to do with us. I think by the time, I don't know if you got to the part where we meet our benefactors in LA at MCA records, yeah. but um, they didn't really know who we are, if I'm honest with you, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it was the nineties and, and everybody, every major label was like, we're, we, we've got to find the next Nirvana, you know? So they gobbled up the small labels in hope, uh, hopes of finding the next Nirvana and then just had a bunch of really interesting bands that they had no actual connection to so when our publicist sent out speed bar baby or ball baby or whatever <laughs> it was much more to do with uh, mca not really understanding us than you know any venues problem you know and i it's so interesting you mentioned that because um when we were talking in our pre-game our pre-show uh a uh, little chat we were mm. talking about all you know I, I used to work in what was known as college radio alternative radio and um and I remember IRS Records, which I don't think is around anymore, which is mm. like the major one. Um, but all these, all these uh, small little independent labels, which had some great acts. Um, I think Billy Idol was one of them that that mm. started on a small label. And of course, you mentioned in your book you grew up watching the early days of Saturday Night Live and a show called Fridays, which I used to mm -hmm. watch religiously. And I could mention the Jim, you mentioned the Jim Carroll band with people. Mm -hmm. And I remember people who died, died, you know, uh, I think there was one called uh, Sector 42. <laughs> I'm not sure, but, uh, but, you know, nowadays, though, you don't see those small labels. Well, I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know. I don't want to be a grumbly old and martyr, but you know, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I've been having conversations with people lately where and they're and they're you know all right-minded as far as i'm concerned we're all musicians we're all you know a little bit older now we're not in our 20s we're we're kind of over a certain kinds of humps of like oh we're gonna make it and uh and i keep hearing people say um it's so sad that there aren't ways for i mean there's so much competition now in music that young people are finding it hard to make any money and i just sit and listen for a while and after a while, I just felt compelled to say, I don't know if they should, 
know how to make money when you're in your 20s on music. I mean, I don't want to be a sucker like we all kind of were horribly abused by the record industry. But like, you know, there was a lot more room to just be in those days. There just was less feedback loop, less immediacy and less expectation that money was going to come, that certain things, you know, you had fantasies of being like very important, maybe like I'm going to be just like somebody who is really revered and makes great art, really, you know. Um, But I think that's flipped a little bit. And so what also gets lost is all these small labels that are, I mean, some of them are still going, but it's a different animal. It's not going to ever walk in the machine like, like the big labels do, you know, like things have been really sewn up. Like you, you do a song, you put it out. How are you going to make, how are you going to monetize it? Is Apple music going to take it? Is Spotify going to take it? You know, it's different than bumbling around the Lower East Side, making sounds on like paint cans in an apartment, not necessarily better or worse, but, I really appreciated that freedom. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Oh my gosh. I mean, I remember like, you know, I'm a, I'll be crumbly and old and say back in my day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we used to have these small, I say I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. even though we're now based in Richmond, Virginia and we go worldwide. Um, but, but back in Louisville, we had this one bar and it was a dive and it was called Tuligan's Tavern. And, mm. um, and I think I, could I know that? Could I know that? Is that a place people stopped on tour? Yes, it is. I feel awesome. like I know that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. That's yeah. okay. I wouldn't be surprised if I would yeah. not be surprised if y'all played there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they had they had acts like uh, let's go into like a group a British group, which played in front of I was there in front of fifty people. It was called the Tourists. Oh. And the lead singer was a blonde girl named uh, Annie Lennox. <laughs> <laughs> Never did much after that. No, didn't do anything. And the, and the guitarist was named Dave Stewart, you know. And but yeah, they, about 50 people were in Tuligan Tavern. Um, another group called the Catholic Girls was there. Mm. You know, but you don't see places like that anymore. Um, mm. It's usually, I mean, at least I don't see them here in Richmond. Is are those places still around? I mean, I wish I knew, you know, I mean, probably, but I, I'm not really on the circuit anymore. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm glad I did it when I did, because I feel like they were abundant. At least I know that like Sudsy Malone's in Ohio. Is it Cleveland or do you know Sudsy Malone's? I don't know Sudsy Malone, but I know Bogart's. Well, Sudsy Malone's, I think I'm remembering it right. It was either in Cleveland or Cincinnati, but it was it was, it was an active working uh, laundromat in the front and then a club That's in right. the back. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd play and you'd have like, you know, ladies with pedal pushers doing their rinse cycle during your set. And it was wonderful. <laughs> you know, it's like I remember once playing there and the ladies with the pedal pushers came back to the club because there was no real separation. And they loved it, you know, and I was like, oh, they're not going to like this. And they had like their little updos and stuff. <laughs> and it was madness. You know, our cl- crowd was loving it. And then all of a sudden they're in the thick of it and they're dancing. And that's like, um, that's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> moment. you know. <laughs> so there's lots of, uh, I know that there was a lot of opportunity for strange things to happen in these small places. Yeah, I think like Bogart, Louisville, Kentucky. And, yeah. Bogart, I believe, was Cincinnati. 
And mm. uh, but that's what um yeah now I remember Sunday Malone because I remember, <laughs> I remember that the unique the laundromat in front and the and the, uh, and the nightclub in the back. Um, he also mentioned like you know we mentioned Saturday Night Live. You grew up watching the early days of mm. that and Fridays on ABC. It always seemed to me like. Saturday Night Live, if you were from London or East Coast, you were on SNL. If you were from the West Coast, you were on Fridays. Is wow. That... I never did that math, but I don't doubt you. I'm sure there was some internal logic, right? Yeah. I mean, Saturday Night Live is so New York, you know? Yeah, and Fridays was on <clears throat> L.A. Mm, which, yeah. And there was a couple of acts who appeared on both. I mean, I remember <clears throat> watching Sorry. Diva. That's okay. If you hear me cough, that's okay too. <laughs> you know? um, I've been watching Devo when they first appeared on Saturday Night Live. Uh, they sang. Uh, did you did you see that that one or was it a later? I one? must have because we always saw my mom and I watched it when I was a little girl. We'd have our like I I don't know. I mean, it's such a fond memory. It's not something you're supposed to do, and it would be frowned upon now. But like. 11 years old, 12 years old, having a little bit of sh pink champagne, which is like some cheap malt liquor <laughs> with my mom, <laughs> but it's pink and sparkly. So it's awesome. Um, and just like, I don't know, learning my eyes just busting out of my head, you know, like those people that set up those shows. I mean, wow. So smart. So real. I mean, it was in the spirit of those shows, right? Very reckless, very no rules, very, uh, this might be the last show we ever get to put on. Let's put on the best <laughs> thing we can get. But yeah, it was going to be seeing the plasmatics on Friday. Williams, oh my gosh. My God. And just fascinating, you know, like it just busts your head wide open. It's like there is a whole world out there that is exploding literally and figuratively, you know, and your little eyeballs are like, yeah, sucking it in. Is that what got you first interested in learning rock music? I mean, I think it was more, there was a station in Long Island called WLIR and it was, I think it was DRE first and then WLIR, but they had these amazing like uh, DJ Donna Donna and I wish I could remember the other names now, but they brought everything from all around, all of the English music, all of the lower, you know, downtown New York music, everything that was happening, they had their finger on it and they were shoving it through that radio into my bedroom when I was quite small. And then it was just like, you know, I remember going to Tower Records and looking for my first Blondie 45. Fat Tower Records had like a huge wall of 45s. And there was this magical woman from on this front of, I think it was just call me, you know what I mean? It wasn't like the revolutionary Blondie that you then get to know, but it was a great song, great cover, blah, blah, blah. And it's just also exciting. I mean, we all have those moments of discovering music, but I feel like it was on like overdrive when I was young, just constantly. I mean, once you tapped into it and it really was the radio, you know, yeah. I just, that, yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. And now your book, you pull no punches in your book. I mean, it really, a lot of people think that nowadays who don't know the music scene except for the musicians who are actually living it, they they don't know what bands go through mm. in, order, in order to make it. And your mm. book pulls no punches. I mean, you start out right away. Um, 
I will say a seedy apartment, would you say? That's <laughs> uh, putting it mildly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> once you once you fill a speed, seedy apartment with a really terrible person, it becomes like a whole other kind of apartment. <laughs> <laughs> but but really, I mean, you know, you you talk about traveling around in a in a is it a broken down van or is it a or not a broken down van, but I mean a uh not the best car. No, it was a car, it was a cargo van, the type that you rent to move things, and that once you close the back, everybody's very frightened to be locked in the back of it. You know what I mean? But yeah, it was a cargo van. Yeah, I mean, it had a few more windows than that, but certainly no seatbelts, for instance. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's because you know seatbelts in the seventies were optional. I think you know. They're probably frowned upon. Yeah. Yeah, if you get an accident with this car, it's better off you don't live. Okay, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, uh, i mean that's how yeah well thank you for realizing that like i don't know how much that story has changed if you're gonna go out there and do it i mean except for the seat belts which i really recommend you're still it, it's a lot of work you know and if you're up for it and you're in your, you know you're at the right age or whatever the right mindset it's an amazing adventure it's incredible and not only is it a lot of work it it does not happen overnight or over the span of a month it may not even happen over a span of a year with speedball baby it ha- how long did it take y'all to uh, get your first record contract i mean matt and ron who are the guitarist and the singer they were kind of um doing it as a more of spoken word sort of confrontational happening kind of thing for a while there and uh larry hardy in the red i believe that no pc PK at PCP Records put out our first. So when I came in, it started to sort of turn into more of a band, but it was still like, we didn't know what the rules were or what was gonna happen. And that was really liberating. So it was PCP Records. And then, you know, they started to go from there. And I think it was uh, the three of us, at least in it, um, with a couple of different drummers until we got to Martin Owens. Um, it took maybe about three or four years until Fort Apache Records in Boston brought us in and they were, they had been sent by MCA, the overlords in LA to, uh, you know, hunt out people they thought were really interesting. And, and they'd done amazing music. You know, the, the, our producers, Paul Coldery and Sean Slade produced, uh, live through this for whole, um, you know, a lot of Radiohead, Pixies, Lemonheads, just a lot of great music. They're fantastically talented. And, maybe even more than that, they never suggested we change things. You know, they weren't <laughs> like, well, I don't hear a losing my religion. We're going to have to change everything you're doing. You know, it was never, it was always like, okay, so let's set this up. What do you want to do? Blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. So, you know, when you're that age, I guess three years feels like a very long time, but looking back, it, it was, there were some immediate rewards, but it was a lot of hard work. The war of attrition is definitely part of it. You know, you said they didn't want to change a thing. They didn't want to change your, like, you know, you talk about, you know, in your book, you talk about your look, your black you know, black eyeliner and the, uh, mm-hmm. or black eyeshadow and you know, and looking the part of a, uh, of a, of a punk rocker, for want of a mm-hmm. better term, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I, I take no offense at the term. It's okay. <laughs> but they didn't, they didn't say, we, we want you to change your look. We want you to change like you said, didn't want to change your sound. A lot of times, record companies will do that. Mm-hmm. They'll say, "Well, especially to women." 
Right. You got to be more commercial. That's what I hear a lot of times. I think if they thought they were getting something commercial with us, they were out of their minds. So whatever we gave them for cinema, which I think is a great album, was about as commercial as it was ever going to get. And to everybody involved credit, and that's us and Paul Coldery and Sean Slade, nobody ever, ever, I mean, maybe they didn't dare <laughs> say that to me. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, it wouldn't have been received well. It would have been a very stupid thing to say. And I think they all understood that that was not the vibe. You know, it's sort of a sink or swim. This is what it is. Let's see what happens kind of thing. Let's, yeah. What was it like playing at CBGB's? I mean, it's funny because I have played, been to shows there. Every permutation of my life has had a connection to CBGB's. Uh, I don't know if permutation was right. Every era of my life has had a strong connection to CBGB's. Um, you know, even before I was going there for hardcore matinees on Sundays at, at 16 or 15 or whatever I was, which was a really intense introduction, you know, because those were like Warzone, Bad Brains, Cro-Mags, you know, everything very intense, very male, very, uh, yeah, on the Lower East Side before it was at all jazzed up, you know. So anyway, um, there was that, and then there was there were shows later on, but then there was playing there, which was a big part of my life. And Speedball Baby became sort of uh, not a fixture, but like we played there a lot, and and it was um, always great. It's a great place to play, in part because it never got fancy ever in any way. It was such <laughs> a pit, including the stage, which was like completely covered in crust and stickers and you know serious cobwebs and it was beautiful and it was kind of like i don't know if you've been to cbs have you been to cbgbs yeah no it's on my bucket list yeah well you're gonna have to go it's you know it's john Varveda's clothing store now right <laughs> <laughs> which is insane i actually dropped my ego and i went in there and i looked and they had put plexiglass over some of the walls that you know, with all the stickers and everything, I was like, is this good? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> and gosh. then I kind of ran, ran out feeling very strange. But anyway, um, yeah, the, the stage gets surrounded by people. And there's even a weird little platform behind the drummer. So people sit up there too. And it's just like very, the melee is intense and you're surrounded by people and, you know, if that's going wrong, it, it can be quite intense. <laughs> but it, it's it was a great place to play. Loved it. You uh, went from you went from driving all night to get to the next show in America to a world <laughs> excuse me to a world tour. Mm -hmm. um, tell me about that because that that's quite a leap going for yeah. Yeah. Well, MCA, I don't want to ruin any, uh, you know, do any spoilers, but let's okay. just say they didn't really understand us. So they never re they never released. They were our major label deal. Right. They were our big um, grab for the brass ring of a certain kind of success. And they never released the album in Europe because they thought that people wouldn't get it. Mm -hmm. So like the home of Dadaism and surrealism and made the birth of certain kind of punk wouldn't get us somehow. So it was all very, um, very short-sighted. So um, a, a German label called Concurrent did get it. 
and they brought us over. So we went very much from being like uh, doing these dirty van tours in America to doing dirty van tours in Europe. <laughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I'm, but but honestly, how cool was that? Because like I never, I was not going to get to Europe and tool around any other way. I was not rich. I was not, you know, in any way hooked up in that sense. You know, we I come from a really working class family. Um, and so all of a sudden there's this opportunity. I'm in Germany, Italy, France, all of it, you know, Portugal visit, you know, where my, my mom's family is from. It was all very meaningful to me, but also England, like the mm. home of so much that, that had influenced me. It was incredible. But then also once you're in the world, you, you're, you're sort of like, hey, I'm on an adventure when you're young. And, and then you're like, oh, it's a big world full of scary things, too. You know, and like going into Croatia and getting strip searched at the border and not really understanding that that might happen to you. You know, as a woman crossing into a country where you don't know the rules, you don't know the law, really. Um, you're kind of going on good faith that we're all in this together. And all of a sudden you're confronted by guards with machine guns, which in those days in America, they didn't have machine guns. Cops didn't, but now they kind of do, you know? (laughs) So it was very alarming. So that kind of thing. And then like playing in a Slovenian forest and having to run out of the forest because we're being chased. Like the real world brought its, its stuff to me, but that's also kind of amazing and exhilarating. Mm -hmm. Because I'm here to talk about it. <laughs> Speaking of that, you're over in London. Are you in London now? Is that where you're at? Uh, I know you're in the UK. I'm actually in Norwich, which is two hours outside of London. Okay. Now, uh, what's going on now besides the book? Uh, in, in the, the world life, or in London? In the life oh. of Ali. Yeah, let me, let me finish that. Okay. Yeah, what's going on in the world? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard much. Yeah. Not much. <laughs> now, what's going, now, what's going on in the life now of Allie Smith besides promoting the book? Right. Well, I only just one year ago left my hometown of New York City. I'd never lived anywhere else. And um, this felt like a social coup. This felt like a, an obliteration of self. Turns out it wasn't. It was a good move. Um, my husband's from England. I wanted a different lifestyle for us, for a son. Um, Certain things about politics and culture were weighing on me heavily, and I needed to try something else. And this feels like the next big adventure, and it has been. That's great. That's great. Now, have you kept your thumb on the pulse of the uh, music scene at all? I mean, if I'm honest with you, people that I'm in touch with that are doing things like Kid Congo, who was in the Bad Seeds, Trans yes. Gun Club, who's a good friend of mine who recorded a lot with the with Speedball Baby, who played with us, who was on one of our album covers. Um, he put out a great memoir and uh, I'm following his career around. Like He's just everywhere playing music, signing books. So there are people like... Kate Pearson, who wrote a blurb for my book, which I'm so thrilled about, is out there doing stuff. So if I'm honest, they're kind of the people that I was always interested in. I mean, I, I love music, but I'm not sort of mm-hmm. act. I love, oh my God, I'm going to say it wrong. Amel and the sniffer, Sniffers, you know. What I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Love mm-hmm. them. So they're people I love, you know. 
but I don't follow it actively, I guess. Do you think things have changed? That's okay. Do you, do you think you uh, things have changed for women since you've been, since you are, uh, like, of course, touring in the 90s? I hope so. Hope so. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I have to say it's interesting because somebody in an interview the other day asked me whether I thought this was, this time was m more important than ever for women's stories to be heard. And I thought, no, as important as it's always been, but all these assholes have gotten in the way, yeah. you know, and uh, we're coming, thank God, from a goddess, from a time uh, when women couldn't release books under their own name for centuries because nobody thought they were, you know, right up until the controversial J.K. Rowling, you know, or Harper Lee or uh, so we're coming out of one kind of dark age, you know, and some of the gatekeepers are getting thrown away like Harvey Weinstein. Yes. And, and, and there's a sort of a collective consciousness raising that it's ridiculous that we don't want to hear women's stories in women's voices, that there's any kind of block to that and all the stuff that goes along with that. When you're walking through the world, when you're on tour, the way you be treated, you'll be treated, whether the record label tells you you have to change your image in order to sell albums, all of this, we're sort of getting the, the, um, narrative you know what i mean in our hands like Michaela cole cole it's a great example like we these are the these women have always existed but now they've got the pen and we're all better for it so more women's stories in women's voices is urgent fantastic well the book is called the ballad of speedball baby a memoir the author is ali smith and it's published by blackstone publishing mm -hmm. It comes out on January 16th. In the That's States. right. And, and in the UK. In the UK. Amazon, yeah. Amazon, uh, BN.com, or go to your local brick and mortar store and yeah. have them order it. Also, IndieBound, which and is IndieBound. where you can order online from local stores. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, Allie, again, thanks for being on Life Camera Author tonight. Oh, Jim, this is just the best. Thank you. It's been so nice to talk to you. And you can take the hair off the man, but you can't take the man out of the hair. You said you had long, luscious hair <laughs> in college, and you still have it. <laughs> yeah, not, not quite, but a little bit. <laughs> the uh, the personality of the hair. <laughs>